0: coming to you from Podcast Detroit. It's Heard, your food, beverage and hospitality podcast. Please take a second to subscribe on iTunes and for future episode information and additional content head over to heardpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram at heardpodcast. <music> By the glass without the waste. Wine protected with eco friendly art wine preservation keeps wine fresh for weeks instead of days with only a two second pull. Keep open bottles of wine from spoiling so you don't have to dump wine down the drain or suffer through oxidized wine. Art wine preservation was designed by an engineer in the argon industry to decrease wine waste through sustainable technology. It uses natural argon gas, which is denser than air, to displace oxygen in your bottle of wine. Remember, AR capital T wine preservation. Hello, and thanks for listening to H.E.R.D., your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. If you haven't already, please take a second to subscribe through the Apple Podcasts app or however you listen to podcasts. Your support is greatly appreciated. We've got quite a show for you. I'm joined by Vato. Hello. Dave. Hello. And our very special guest, Kat Hawkins, general manager of Wright & Company in Detroit and certified sommelier. And Mick Descamps, wine director for Red Wagon Wine Shops in Rochester Hills and Troy, and an advanced sommelier. Greetings. Thanks to both of you for joining us. Later in the show, we'll be doing a blind wine tasting where we try to figure out what's in the mysterious brown bag I've brought with me tonight. I promise it's not prison wine. <laughs> um, it's from a reputable source. We'll have a good time with that a little bit later. Uh, okay, guys. Uh, so you're both sommeliers, different levels. Um, but you guys are study partners, yes? Yes. Correct. So what does that mean? What, what does it mean to study wine, and uh, how often do you guys study wine? Well, I mean, there's a lot of different approaches to um,
1: kind of gain a better understanding of wine in this in this world. Um, Kat and I are both um, – we both subscribe to uh, a certain pathway through the court of Master Sommeliers where both of us hope to become Master Sommeliers one day, but – This is just one different facet of it. So to that end, um, on a weekly basis, uh, her and I and others practice blind tasting. So we're trying to commune with wine to better understand it. Um, Seems like an inane process, but, you know, you're trying to pull apart tags or tells of these wines that might tell you what these grapes are. Um, It's frustrating and enlightening (laughs) and more frustrating than enlightening a lot of times, but... uh, all I can say is is that it's um it's really a great way ironically to better relate concepts that might be abstract to people who don't understand them even if you're fumbling to try to understand them yourself. Is
2: that different from Guildsom? Guildsom or is Guildsom an organization?
1: Guildsom sort of is an is the connected. educational okay. wing okay. of Quartermaster's Melodies. It didn't used to be, but it is now.
2: Okay. I like their podcast. Yeah, their it's, it's,
1: it's kind of it's kind of fun and the guys who <clears throat> the guys who are at the helm of it um have a great sense of humor, so there's a lot of shtick and I, I, I think it's great and it definitely speaks generationally, whereas one may have felt more I don't know, fuddy duddy and your grandma's t- tossed van. Yeah. <laughs> this one feels more
2: youthful and I don't know, pulse fingers on the pulse of the moment. Yeah, and they and they talk about sake and cherry and nothing. To- yeah. Yeah. promote another podcast don't listen to that podcast <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, only listen to this podcast <laughs> but anyway killed some so, so, so yeah that's
1: that's you know that's kind of in a nutshell that
0: where we meet weekly so you meet weekly you, you grab wines you put them in brown paper bags like i've done tonight and you uh try to figure out what you're drinking um on uh, out of 10 how often are you correct And what is it? And what what, what's what's expected?
1: Well, it depends on the level you're at. Um, Different uh, different criteria, different exams. Um, You know, put it this way: um, at the master level, I need to be more or less perfect um, studying for this. And you know, say you're you're tasting six wines in a flight. Um, You've got 25 minutes. You know, they're like, hey, go. You know, three whites, three reds, and you have to deductively take them down from. A site, you know, when there's key marks at sight and, and aromatics and how it feels in your palate and what you're tasting. And then you got to rein all this stuff in, you know, kind of put your anxiety in the, the back seat and do your best to do that and um, figure this out. But for me, um, you have to be at a pretty much a 95 percent, you know, correctness level. It's a little bit – it's still hard for the advanced – you know, you're, you're in that 75-ish percent range. Um, and, you know, truthfully, when we practice this, we will do a lot of times single blind where we set a category, say aromatic grapes. So aromatic white grapes, for instance, we could say in his family there might be seven different grapes that you might come across or eight different grapes you might come across. And even in a single blind lineup, it's amazing what your mind will do to try to rationalize your own decision right you know the whole goal in this process as much as you have a select number of possibilities hopefully you gain appreciation in a um you know kind of a similar lineup of what 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 makes one different than another um and you know hopefully nobody brought the same grape times
2: six (laughs)
3: Uh, you know we did it three in a row last time I Right
2: think. that was pretty funny. Yeah, it was something. So so do you have to go down to like vintage and pr- producer? I mean you can't possibly <laughs> do producer.
1: No producer unless it's like Lopez de Heredia like Cat brought what we're drinking yeah, here yeah. where for me I can I can pull, pull that up blind. You know Yeah. Um but you know when it comes down to it no um you're you have to come up with grape variety Country of origin, vintage, region, vintage though. Yeah,
2: yeah. that's intense. Mm-hmm. Holy shit! Yeah, um,
3: usually we can call it within a three-year range, and then we have to pick one. Wow! Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that you can tell by color, um, or by how it's developed, and then really you have to use what you know about the different vintages to be able to pick one of those three.
4: Mm. Wow! So how do you how do you break in between? I mean, does it uh, you just drink water, spit it out? Is how do you how do you cleanse spit it about? out yeah,
3: unless it's really good, and then you drink it
4: yeah
1: <laughs> it's kind of hard not to right
4: but it seems like by the time you get the last one
1: it's a good that's a good point
3: well when you're tasting for an exam situation, it's completely different um it's it's really not enjoyable, it's really really there's a lot of anxiety mm-hmm. um there's a lot more to it when when I'm just studying and just focusing on, you know, maybe the six wines in front of me. I'm not drinking wine anymore. I'm working. And so it's very different. And um, I took the advanced exam the first time at the end of 2015. And when I got home, I could not wait to just like drink a beer. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It was everything that I tasted, especially in the few months leading up to it. It was not enjoyable anymore. It was, you know, constantly analyzing. So it's, it's very different. And when you're that dedicated, you're able to shift your focus between pleasure and work.
4: Do you find that you can shift it now? Like if you're just drinking at home, do you think that uh, every time you take a sip that you're analyzing the bottle that you bought or, or can you relax? And, and?
3: It's easier to shift the further away from an exam you are. Um, myself and a few colleagues go again in November, and if you asked me that question at the end of September, it would be a very different answer.
2: Right. So you're going for advanced, correct? And you're going for and have sat for the masters.
1: Yes. Um, this year, I'm happy to take the take a um, little bit of a respite. I have a newborn, and I promised for the first time, and since I've started this process, that I wasn't going to do anything this year. Just for some, you know, one for my wife and two Sanity. kids, and yeah. um, that were older. But you know, we're going to take a family vacation. You know, it's crazy what you give up. You know, it's kind of it's kind of like in a lot of ways, Dave, and I think you would appreciate this: opening restaurants and opening bars, and what you give up, and it's the opportunity cost of a lifestyle. Sure, very much. People love to glamorize any job that they're not in, that looks fun from afar, right? I think we've all been party to it. And it doesn't have to be beverage. It can be anything. Yeah, absolutely. Doctor, nurse, you know, IT programmer, for Christ's sake. This regard for the sommelier, especially a studying sommelier, where your job is part of it, and then you have your other job, which is studying. I mean, happily, I think the movie SOM kind of opened, you know, put a little bit of a spotlight on there, which is part of it. I actually refused to pay for that movie because I had spent so much money in this process already and frustration. and I've free watched. On Netflix. No, no joke, though. I waited until it was free. <laughs> I watched it once with my wife, who was crying watching it with me because—
3: It's that relatable.
1: Because it's relatable, and
2: I'm just like, God, mm. I'm never I still this cry again. when they pass.
3: I'm not going to yeah. lie about it.
2: It's a good movie. It's
4: yeah. a good movie I have not seen. I, like, tear up. I've watched it, like, 20 real, times. I mean, it's, it's the story of what <laughs> he's, he's— Apparently they pass. Well, what not is, all of them, though. Not right. all of them. <laughs> So, are you going yeah. to a vineyard for your uh, vacation? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do you know, what? if it was just my wife and I, we probably would. Yeah, yeah. Shame cool like that. We would. We want to go. I mean, when we go to wine country, when we go to Napa, we we will get a house, and we will legitimately pull ourselves off of the grid. Um, go find, you know, find a place that actually has a kitchen, and buy our food and cook. And so we can unplug and that's where we're overdue to do that. Because when I go out there, I don't work. I don't want to work. <laughs> I want to actually breathe and commune with nature.
0: So, so I have a question about um, the, the kind of idea where, so you go to grad school, you learn more and more about less and less, right? So you guys are really focused on really minute details of wine. And um, if you're, in grad school you 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 graduate phd or whatever and ultimately like a lot of times you remain in academia and you're talking to your, your people that have a similar knowledge base in, as you mm-hmm. you guys on the other hand are talking to everyday consumers who um may have no knowledge right or very little knowledge of wine so how do you distill all of this wealth of information down to to someone who may know no, they may have just bought some Kendall Jackson at CVS, which there's nothing wrong with that. But what? what I mean, you know. how, do, how does a teacher talk to classroom of students?
1: You know, and there's a lot of different ways you can answer this, but that's how I approach it. Um, wine is something that we're not a wine culture in America. I would like it to be, but we are a beer culture followed by a cocktail culture and then a wine culture. Um, but to that end I think wine is mysterious enough. And so I think all of us what we try to do to a degree is make it relatable. Yeah. Make it interesting. We're interested by it. You know, you really can't do this well if you're full of it. You have to honestly like it or love it. Um because listen, there's there's a lot to it's harder I mean it's kind of like a you know I would almost say this, the uh, the dancing analogy of you know Ginger Rogers, Fred, Fred Astaire. Ginger Rogers, people would say, is a better dancer than Fred Astaire because she had to do everything backwards that he did. And that's kind of like this teacher mentality. You have to do everything harder and think about it more to make something, even if you're distilling it down to the simplest, and that's kind of how I would look at this. I don't well, know if I'd answered that or not.
3: The interesting thing about it is that even though some people – don't quote-unquote know a lot about it, they still have really, really honest and sincere questions. And we can't be full of crap. Like, we have to be able to answer those questions honestly and and to be able to to back up what we're saying. Um,
4: are, there, are there any garden variety questions that you guys get all the time from customers?
3: I mean, I think the thing I hear the most would probably be, what's smooth, or I like dry wine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I like sweet wine is something that is often confused. I think that people are asking for fruity wine instead of necessarily sugar sweet. And that's something that I like to instill when doing staff trainings too is like find out. Do they want sugar sweet Moscato or do they want something that's like fruit forward like Pinot Noir? Because they're two very different things. Uh, The terminology is something that's the most important um, the general public's going to use different terms than we do when we're speaking to each other so it's kind of straddling the line in between beverage geek and ordinary person that you're trying to serve and accommodate and right. that's the most important is if you're be if you're able to straddle between both of those worlds that's when you're successful.
2: And you don't want to be like condescending or a dick and be no. like oh I don't know what you mean by smooth right which is I actually heard someone say that before. Uh-huh. And I think that 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 term just means like not overly tannic.
3: Right? Oh yeah, or so not like, overly acidic.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, Acetic it can be tannic, a couple right. of things. Right. You just
3: you just have to figure out. And and the the easiest thing for me usually, and <laughs> I don't know if you can attest to this, is to just say, listen, what do you like to drink? Yep. Yeah. You know, what? it's the same thing what we do with with cocktails, too. What do you usually like? Because then you can say, all right, well, they like Moscow Mules, so I know how to go X. Exactly. You know, they like New World Pinot, so we can go here.
1: Yeah. That's honest. Yeah.
2: I like that. It's just that wine is so much more dense. And, you know, I drink a lot of wine. I drink a lot of everything. Um, (laughs) And, you know, I I, I know more than, like, I guess the average, generally the average consumer, but... Even still, it's daunting. It's like it's like you know, trying to look at a wine list is just like, man, this is uh, you know, oppressive almost. Sure, you, know, you intimidating. It's like another language. We well, got yeah, in like six right? different yeah. languages. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Like, um,
4: yeah. Well, this one looks Study red. That. Yeah,
2: <laughs> and then yeah, so like you know, naturally, I look for the things that I know, right? Like sure. go where you know. And so like, well, I know I like this. I know I like that, mm-hmm. and you know, that's kind of the take the safe play. I think that there's also that weird thing of like trying to or people not having a lot of trust in the som, you know, the Somme is there to serve you a good bottle based on your price point, not to over, not to upsell Correct. you, not to, well, occasionally to oversell you, upsell you, but generally speaking, you know, to, to point you in the right direction and make sure you have a good experience and you get a wine that goes with your meal. And I think that a lot of people don't really believe in that or are still kind of skeptical. Of they that haven't been position. taught
3: that, that we're not there to sell you the most expensive bottle. I mean, you know, I'm not the guy in a suit in a cummerbund, with a linen over my arm, <laughs> saying, "Hey, listen! I think you should get this this you know expensive Bordeaux because it's the best one on the menu." That's not that's not the modern sommelier. I right.
1: think that I think that idea is very much cartoonish. Still, it comes. It's still born out of the '70s, Absolutely. '60s, early '80s idea of that van wearing stuffy French. Mm-hmm. And then, if it's not that, it's this. I don't want to. Be rude on the air here, but DB please, style. Please, please, please be rude yeah. on the air. Yeah. Right? Say say the douchey, we encourage rudeness. The douchey, <laughs> the, the douchey, I don't know, late 90s, early 2000s Vegas, New York sommelier, where it's if you're not buying first growth or DRC, I'm not looking at you. Right. And whatever the case is, those are kind of, that's really kind of it. You know, so the whole idea of needing or wanting or seeing the usefulness for a sommelier in beverage for a lot of people, I don't think it's there. I think they're like, well, hey, my New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc is not broken. You know, I don't need to fix it. And that's – listen, that's fine. But I think to your point, just like in beer or, or cocktail culture, there is room for growth and there's room for direction just like any of it. And is it always necessary? No. But is it fun to have it? when, you know, is it fun to have a tour guide walking through the Vatican?
2: Right. Absolutely, yeah. Is
1: it? Is it, you know, I would say that's a pretty good analogy and having a good sommelier with a hell of a wine list where, listen, I'll tell you this, walking around the Vatican, you lose track of how much, oh, look, it's another beautiful tapestry, you know, oh, my God, it's another thing that I have no idea what this is and who made (laughs) it and where it came from. And, you know, when you have somebody who's a steward, who's showing you the way. That's what a wine steward's supposed to be. It's servant and somebody who's showing you the way um, and helping you along the way. Um, I think it's incredibly useful. Uh, I think it's incredibly useful in principle. Um, And I think, happily, we are trending in that direction. Um, At least the opportunity for that to be trending in that direction is happening. Whereas, I mean, I'm speaking locally for sure because um, five years ago, I thought it was uh, unfortunate, <laughs> you know, um, you had an exodus of a lot of people who were the older guard sommeliers from the restaurant business and there wasn't really much hope for who was going to be up, you know, be there to take up the mantle. Um, and I think locally there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of hope I would say right now for that. So I think the tides are changing here.
0: So, so to your point about um, people leaving the industry, um is is that more to do with like uh, is that an evolution thing or is that the the getting growing tired of the hours? Hmm. Um, because I I feel like you guys aren't just tasting wine and recommending wines all night. There's far more to what you do than than uh, than those two things. And, and all of this, I mean, it has to wear on people, right? And so I, hmm. I imagine you're referring to like Madeline going to yeah, Plum but, market. I mean, look and a, look
1: look what happened here in a pretty short period of time. You had Michelle De Hayes leave restaurants. Madeline left restaurants. Antoine left restaurants. I left restaurants. Patrick. Patrick left restaurants. You had pretty much everybody who was doing the job of some kind of note in Metro Detroit area left. And the best answer to that is it's everything. Um, I think there was a lack of opportunity with viable jobs. Um, and That's something that's obviously changed now and changing now, um, which is great, but you know, it costs. You know, it's one of those things that I think the um, – if you are a, an owner or, a direct, you know, uh, a CFO, that's an easy line item slash, right? yeah, hey, we don't need it. We'll just give the manager um, – we'll give it to the manager. And I think in general, this is the attitude a lot of
2: times. So That's, it's, that's my attitude with cat. I was you know. just teasing her. To double up. <laughs>
1: I'm teasing. You know,
4: but that's, a, that's such a feeling attitude a lot of places – Gone to and they got this extensive wine list and when I say extensive, I'm not saying the quality that's on there. I'm saying it's a, a, Yeah, it's a yeah, huge quantity. thing. And then you ask 100 so, uh, Napa yeah. cabs. Like, so what do you think of this? And and you know, get the you know, I don't know, but it uh, seems popular with people and like. Oh God, like, I hate that answer. Oh, it's the worst. But that's the answer that that you get sometimes. And you know, these owners need to take uh, if they're going to invest that much into their stock. I mean, they should invest in the training as well. Yeah, yeah,
1: I mean, but like I said, this this you're absolutely right. And I mean, I don't know. I I don't think there's ever um, a lack of talent in this business or a lack of will. It's just who's going to put the work into to, to training. And I think a lot of times when you have a um you know a great beverage director a sommelier on hand, I think it's incredibly helpful because it's trickle down that way. You set a culture
4: for for those that are uh, listening that are want to you know come up the ranks like that too what's the cost point on it it's pretty expensive isn't it to, yeah. to do the test to do
3: so there's a couple of different avenues that you can take um mick and i's main focus is the court of master sommeliers um intro right now is i think at 525 for the test and the uh little course portion that they do the day before and plus travel i would i think once a year do they still do it here they were doing intro and yeah. certified here pretty regularly.
2: They, they did it in like 2015 here. It's, I know I thought about taking it and Joe Allerton was like, don't bother. <laughs> <laughs> Save yourself the money.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah. um, and then when you move up to certified, it's I think it's up to 750 now. I
4: haven't seen that price. Uh, I don't remember. But even before that, I mean, you have. To- I mean, you have to train, you have to yep. study, you have to... Drink a ton of wine. <laughs> I, I mean, like I, drink yeah, wine from all over the world and learn about
2: wine from all over the world. Which well, having
3: f- access is a huge thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can go to stores around here and, and thankfully, I mean, at least Red Wagon has educated people and, and Plum has educated people and they mm-hmm. have well-curated selections. But if you're not seeking out those proper places to go you're not going to get the best um, examples of type. And that's what we worry about is examples of type. We drink a ton of wine. and We drink a lot of eclectic wine and esoteric wine and really cool stuff. But when you're studying, you have to very much hone in on this is what they're testing on. This is the classic example. And you have to seek them out and you have to have them and you have to know them. And it takes more than once to do that, right? Right. You know, I mean, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, pretty easy to access – pretty consistent. Um, pretty cheap. Yeah. But then you, you look at things like really great examples of Northern Rhone or really great examples of Bordeaux and especially older wines when you're trying to study. You know, that's a, a problem that we have when we're mm-hmm. studying right now is a lot of us have a hard time calling age on wine because we don't have a lot of old wine in this market. And if we do, it's very expensive.
2: So when in the test, I mean, realistically, what do you... How old do the wines get? I mean, are they pulling out like a 65 Bordeaux? No, mm-hmm. I mean,
1: realistically, you're going to see potentially see something as as old as 30 years old. Wow. Up to that, but probably not more than that.
3: Well, and that's your test, too. That's my test, it's but even still— It's different as the levels go on. I think the
1: big boy test. Realistically, though, you're in that 20-year range um, at the max, sometimes a little older, but you don't need it. I mean, even still, it's 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 hard, and I think Kat— said something that, you know, is a big challenge in this market where it's a developing fine dining restaurant culture, but developing instead of it being something that is established like Chicago, New York, Vegas, and, you know, or San Francisco. What's the difference between that? Ubiquity of incredible bottles on hand with collectors who are willing to share and help. right? And right. help. You know, so they want the sommeliers who are learning and studying to taste the great stuff, to learn. And, I mean, I've worked with some of these great people. Um, You know, Raj Parr when I worked with him, was very generous with with his bottles and um, wines that, you know, great examples to memorize this, you know, and, and study on this. But it's something that I try to pass on and try to share with people who are in, you know, around me. But even still, there's not enough of it. We're trying to gain more critical mass in this, and I think it's working, you yeah. know, but again, everything we're doing is in its infancy here,
2: yeah right now so did you <clears throat> your um, you know you mentioned you and Antoine and Michelle sort of leaving the restaurant industry? I always kind of looked at that as like a logical progression to your career. Like you should probably work. And I think that maybe that's a thing. Am I wrong? Like you should work at a producer. You should work for a retailer. You should work at a restaurant. So you sort of see all facets of the business.
1: I think it's a great way of looking at it. I I think it happens organically and not necessarily Uh, purposefully. Yeah. I think, I don't know if I've ever fully asked Antoine this, but, you know, had I not had a family and had things not changed with Mina, would I still be there? Maybe would Antoine still have been with Silver Pig if it didn't change where it was maybe the point is is that you ride the wave yeah. I've, i i i love using that phrase because you don't know right. <laughs> it could crest tomorrow and then you have to find the next one to right, ride right right but i think instead of it being being complacent about it you have to be adaptable um for me i saw you know i'm i'm happy to to have worked all three sides of this business um, because it's given me perspective. Oh yeah, you it's, have done it all. Yeah, it's made me a better. It's given me an opportunity to be a better buyer and to be a better um, to know maybe some of the things that the importers are trying to do and suppliers are trying to do and wholesalers are trying to do, and, and how that works in with with everybody else. Um, but you know, all I can say is is that I love restaurants. I miss restaurants. I think there's something special to be on the floor, reacting with instant gratification. To be part of somebody's happy night, happy moment, um, it's adrenalizing. Yeah, you know that's a word.
2: I don't think it is, but I like it. It is not. We're going to allow it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, do you see yourself going back to F and B?
1: My wife says she would love for me to do it. And I, I say at some point, I would definitely. I told Kat this recently.
3: I mean, if there was a nice enough restaurant that <laughs> could like hold us all, you know? You know, I, I can tell sorry, sorry,
1: Kat. Uh. <laughs> I don't
3: know fine dining's not your stick, but we got I, you. I can
1: tell you this. Um, I, I'm committed to staying in this market. If something like that comes about, great. Yeah. You know, I've had opportunities to jump ship, but. You know, my wife has roots here. I have roots here. So if she wasn't, you know, there's always an if, right? Right. If she didn't have a stable job, if she wasn't a teacher, um, would we have left years ago? Probably, you know, but this is this, this is our situation, you know, and that's the one thing about this is that I think in this business, a lot of times people will, will try to impart what their view is on you, you know, and listen, man, Agreed. it's- Kat knows this because I think it's probably different for for women, harder for women in this regard. Where you know a lot of times this is a male-dominated industry, and so you are people are casting you in roles that not, not, aren't necessarily re- you know relevant to you. But on top of it, they're they're casting their own experiences that aren't necessarily relevant
0: to you. So, so I, I this issue of um some, something I'm thinking about here is like responsibility. So you have responsibility to your own um, tastes. You have responsibility to your owner that you're, you know, so Red Wagon, Wright & Company. Um, and then you have a, a responsibility to your customers. How do you bring those three responsibilities together?
3: Okay, so I think that first and foremost, your responsibility is to be able to read your space, to read your guest, to figure out exactly what it is that's going on in the room that you're working. And when you do that, you are able to best serve the folks that come in and enjoy the space and the people who sign your paycheck. And if you can be the conduit between those two things and not only make it enjoyable, but figure out how to make it profitable, that's really is what, defini- is, what is definitive of a great beverage director or sommelier. You have to be able to read all of it and interpret it and, and use it And, you know, don't get me wrong. There's still a couple of things that I hoard on the menu because I think that they're interesting or that um, they're kind of window decoration. Uh, Actually, what we're drinking, I have quite a bit of. Um, But that's because it's one of the greatest in the world and it's limited. So, yeah, there's a certain guest that enjoys it. There's a certain guest that may not know what it is. But there's so much on the other side that allows you to have that, too.
0: What are we drinking now?
3: So we are dr- drinking uh, our Lopez de Heredia's Vina Tondonia, uh, vintage
0: 1995. Uh, okay, so it, it just run through it. What, what's, why is this special to you?
3: Well, it's super special because it's probably the most classic example of uh, traditional Rioja, which is in Spain. Um, and they hold their bottles until they feel they're ready. So that 1995 vintage is their current release. I wow. didn't have to, like, order that special or get it on direct import. That is what they think their wine should be. And not everybody's business model can hold back <laughs> their product since 1995 until they think it's ready.
2: But these were, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm talking, about my ass, I'm talking out of my ass. Um, but these guys were a uh, uh, Burgundy family or Bordeaux family, and they left and they went to, is that true? They went Bordeaux. to Rioja. They Bordeaux. went to Bordeaux and they yeah. went to Rioja to escape Phloxra, which inevitably caught Look up at with you. them. Right, but <laughs> I got moves like, <laughs> once in a while. I remember a couple things. I don't drink all the time, only most of the time. Um, and they so this is a Spanish producer, mm-hmm. and it's but what's the what's the variety? What's the varietal?
3: Oh, uh, it's it's Tempranillo.
2: Tempranillo, okay. mainly. Okay,
3: mainly yeah. they do blend a little bit of uh, oh gosh, Graciano. Yeah, that's what I thought. Graciano, and isn't there a little bit of uh,
2: Granacha. yeah, Grenache, Graciano? Hmm. lisp. Who, who lisped? Me. Lisp. Me. Lisp it. That's nice. That was great. Lisp it up.
3: Uh, and they make a really dynamite white out of Vera. So we always kind of crack this joke when we're studying that you're never going to get a white Rioja in part of your blind tasting because mm-hmm. there's literally only one. Mm. And it's Lopez de Heredia, mm. which is kind of cool. Yeah. They just have such a, a really great story. They, they take really great care of their land and they just do it their own way, which I really admire.
0: So we're we're going to take a quick break, uh, and we'll be right back. We're going to do this blind tasting and see how, uh, see how badly me, Vato, and Dave messed this up. And we're back to herd your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. We are about to start our blind tasting. Now, I, I remind everybody, this is from a reputable source, okay? I didn't get this from my uh, grandfather's old uh, homemade wine uh, Back when I was a kid, he used to get grapes delivered to his house, uh, make wine uh, during the summer. Um, that stuff was not uh, palatable. Hopefully this stuff is. I'm going to pour it. And I'm going to pass it off.
1: All right, we'll pass it down.
2: Where did the old um, Riesling come from? Did you bring this, Mick?
1: No,
3: that's cat. That's on mm-hmm. our win list. Is it?
2: Yeah. We do great. We have great wine. I
3: know. It's <laughs>
2: fucking great. <laughs> I know stuff. I was just like, you know what? <laughs> I'm not going to continue my wine education. Cat so. can just tell me what to buy and drink. <laughs> Fuck it. Nothing wrong way, with that.
0: Way easier. Hey, I trust her. So pouring wine out of a brown paper bag is not easy, no. um, which is probably why people drink uh, when they drink out of a paper bag, they drink out of a paper bag and not uh, decant it into another vessel. Um, so how many more do I need? Everybody got one? I've got one. I think we do. Everyone? Okay. Now me? All right. So, Mick, Kat, how does this work?
3: So, do you want us to be very scholarly about this? Like, let people into how we evaluate it? Or do you want us to just...
2: Yeah, get nuts you with it. it, like, like go, you do it. Go, go all in. So, so here's, do here's, here's what we we're okay. going to do. And this, this
1: is out of I plastic think, cups. I, think I don't know if Kat, that matters. I think Kat and I are going to round robin I was going
3: to say, you want to round robin? Yeah. yeah. Pinkies,
1: up.
4: Pinkies up. I'm
3: going to kill this down. and put it in the glass, though. How does that work? Kurt,
1: that's a good idea. Get on, get on you.
0: Okay, okay, so the, I poured these in the plastic cups because we didn't have glassware. So is, is there a difference? Um, yes. Okay. Explain that first. So if we're drinking out of plastic cups... Um, how does that affect the well, flavor? Of- I
1: think it's not it's not just the flavor. Flavor is part of it. It's it's color assessment mm-hmm. here too. Big time. I mean, obviously plastic, it's reactive to a degree. Um, as much as they say it's not supposed to be, kind of is. So, you know, glass is a lot less reactive. So in this regard, you are hoping that the vessel is focusing flavor and aromatics instead of dissipating it. So a very, very wide mouth glass um, that's made out of plastic might – You know, it's not going to help you aromatically. It's going to make things kind of dull. And if you put it in a narrower vessel, I mean, remember this. There's a great word about alcohol-soluble flavors is volatility. Volatility has to do with flavors that are carried by alcohol. And then because alcohol um, evaporates at a – or boils at a lower uh, temperature than than, uh, water, it's going to evaporate into your nose and carry that flavor with it. So it's not just BS, you know, and again, I think a lot of times people think it might be, but it's not. I mean, so when you're swirling, if you are really swirling, you are not just oxygenating, but you are volatilizing aromatics in the wine that are born out of alcohol and bring them into your nose. So it's easier to do that in a glass vessel than it is a plastic one. Well, and
3: there's something to be said about uh, habit and routine as well. You know, we're very practiced. Blind tasting, deductive tasting is not inherent in a lot of people you're practicing it constantly so to take practice tasters and and take their vessel away and take their what they're used to using and put it somewhere else that's also something that can be detrimental mm-hmm. i mean not saying that we couldn't do it it just there's a glass here i'm going to slug back my last and, uh, and sip of wine I and just want use to what touch i have i
2: just want to touch on the idea of deductive is that you are literally taking away you're saying it could fit into this category by this criteria, it could fit into this category. By this criteria, absolutely. And then you're just you're just deducing what the actual wine is.
3: I mean, for sure, you'll you'll hear us go back and forth on this. I mean, sight and color assessment is going to be one thing. Um, you know, based on the color of the rim, it's either going to tell us if it's old or if it's higher or lower in acid content. Um, based on the aromatics, whether they're dried or jammy or stewed or. Fresh. That's going to tell us something else. If when we taste it, it's bitter and phenolic. It, that's going to tell us something else. So we can literally, in our heads, strike out certain boxes and figure out where we're at in the world.
1: I
2: phenolic, think it's a. I think it's, a, one, of I think
1: it's a, <laughs> one of those great words.
2: I think it's a pulsard from Mizura. <laughs> I'm just taking a shot.
3: Or plussard, <laughs> depending on who you're talking yeah, to. Yeah,
2: pulsard plussard doesn't matter. <laughs> they, pron- they pronounce but they pronounce both ways. I know. <laughs> I'm, 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 you weren't correcting me. No, that's no, right. no. Okay. Good. No,
3: no, not at all. I said or it could be.
2: you want to you want to start it off
3: uh sure i'd be happy to so our wine in front of us is a red wine it has a medium ruby core fading to a uh, light garnet center has a watery meniscus with reflections of orange Um, surface is day bright wine is moderately opaque
2: what does surface day bright mean
3: it means how it's reflecting back at me. So if it were hazy, or there was anything in it, I'd be able to call it, you know, I don't know, hazy. I guess that's the and, only. Word. And
2: what would that indicate? An older wine, and
3: could be age.
2: Could be age. Could be winemaking
1: technique. If if
3: if it's supernatural wine, supernatural, not oh. like supernatural, like no. superpowers, but like no. natural wine, v natural, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, if you look at it, I mean, the light is is flashing right back at you. It's it's bright. It's shiny, right? Right. Um, it's where was I? Viscosity. Yeah. Viscosity is medium plus. There's no staining of the tears. It has a moderate intensity of color, sir.
1: All right, on to the nose. <laughs> It's hard to date after that uh, Lopez already in this glass. Right. So, So this wine is clean. It's moderate intensity. What, is, what do you mean clean? Clean would be – this would be your opportunity to tell you, tell, say, to somebody or say there's a flaw. I it's, see. It. is I see. affected, sulfur affected, volatile something, acidity. volatile right, acidity.
4: Which uh,
3: can all tell us things about production and where it's of course, at. Yeah. Of
4: course. How would you be able to tell the difference between um, – Something in the wine or so, or something like a residue on the glass? It's like hard to tell sometimes, but,
1: or, you know, you would hope. Good question. One might hope, but, you know, again, there's that dirty sponge effect that you can get. You can have chemical interaction there. But, again, you know what? A lot of times one of the hard problems about this is that clean glassware can destroy – or poorly clean glassware can destroy a wine experience because the same chemical problems of tainting corks happen in – glassware that's not properly cleaned so it's chemically almost identical so to your point it's hard to tell okay. and the only thing that is common is that the experience is bad so, so
4: at your at your your formal tests mm-hmm. what do they do to the glasses there
1: glassware is clean yeah <laughs> it's and clean. they inspect
3: it's, every one of them and they smell every one of them
1: and- probably steamed rinse with You know, distilled water so that there is no residue of anything left in there. And you would hope everything is, you know, the water's not too cold or the wines aren't too cold, you know. And I can tell you that it doesn't always work that way. Okay. So, but that's the intent, you know, that it's supposed to be that way. Even still, it's, you know, no one's perfect is the answer. I mean, as much as it's a test that you're spending a lot of money for. but. (laughs) <laughs> so there's a there's a there's a raw answer to right. Uh, an yeah, that's question. good. I like that.
0: And they expect perfection, though, right? I mean, oh yeah. They, they kind yeah. of. I mean, the expectation is. Um, yeah. Well, and
3: they're not willy nilly about it. You know, accidents happen, things happen. It's but never they,
1: intentional. Yeah. And it's a lot of work to vet these wines to make sure that they're correct for all the candidates taking these tests. But even still, I can tell you this: it's it's not always easy when you're dealing with a wine that maybe not quite as cold as this. Frosty, tempier rosé that were, that's on our table, but something similar to it. Sometimes, I've been party to that. So, so on the nose, it's clean. Right. It's clean. Um, I would say it's in a state of development. You know, there are some aromatics here that indicate there might be some oxidation. That the wine is not super fresh. Flavors of you know, kind of sour cherry, um, tart cherry, a little bit of uh, rhubarb some strawberry seed, mainly red fruit. There's a kind of, um, baked clay element to it. Um, maybe, um, a little bit of, uh, black olive, a little bit of sandalwood, a little bit of clove, indicating a little bit of contact with oak, something from higher tone. There's a florality, um, to it, kind of, um, dried rose petal, dried red flowers. It's not, it's not fresh. A uh, little leather. There's a saline element to it. Tying into that saline element, there's a little bit of, me- of medicinality. Um, iodine.
0: So, so as you're going through this, and and all this is, um, this is all coming to mind. Um, the the average person probably doesn't pick up on all of this. But if they're asking you to pair this wine with something, do you p- pick up on all of these flavors, or are there? dominant ones that you focus on rather than all of the intricacies that you're pulling out of um, the,
1: well, if put it this way, there are two different, there's two different things. And I think Kat hit on it earlier. If you are gritting out a wine for the sake of maybe trying to figure out what it is, you're not paying attention to anything else. Right. (laughs) And so I'm not paying attention to anything else. If after I made a decision, then absolutely. Um, But I can relate it to somebody in terms of what it can go with, or if that's my goal from go, I just my, my intent here is to be focused and to try to knock out what it is by listening to it and not listening to maybe what I want it to be. Um, so beyond that, um, again, there's wine. feels like it's in a state of development. The flavors feel a little bit more muted aromatically. Um, again, some of that sandalwood, a little bit of clove, indicating contact with oak, probably older barrel. Um, there's a little bit of a... Um, Kind of a dried mulch, uh, dried mushroom element into this as well, as well as a hint of kind of uh, wild herb. Cat.
3: Are we going on to the palate?
2: Yeah. Asking so, that question had you not tasted it at, it at all? Mm. This no, is your first. All. Day. Okay.
3: Yeah. All right, palate.
2: So you got to do it like the pros. Mm-hmm. Except I
4: don't spit. I just. Swallow. Put it back. <laughs> hey yo bam! <laughs> I walked right into that one, so to speak.
1: He's here all night, folks.
2: Hey, Let's <laughs> try the veal The <laughs> ah, uh-huh. old dirty sponge. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
4: <laughs> what do you got, Kat? What's how's the mouth feel? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <gosh>. All right. <laughs> wow,
3: well, wine is dry. In <laughs> With With uh, medium plus acidity. Moderate body, moderate alcohol. Mm.
1: There's that oh-so-glamorous mm. note. I was going to no, say, this
3: has to be totally gross to other people <laughs> who don't understand that like this is what we have to do to aerate the mm-hmm. wine. We
2: don't have that it many to- followers. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. No one's grossed out. Okay, <laughs> well. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> About those Mom's school.
3: Um, so I would agree. I think the wine is in a state of development... Um, all of the fruit is coming across on the palate as dried, dried cherry, dried raspberry, um, (coughs) dried currant. Uh, there's a little bit of that, like bitter pomegranate. It's definitely bitter. Um, a little phenolic, like black tea, um, a little bit of like dried chamomile. Ah, there's definitely that herb de Provence thing that like sage, tarragon, thyme, um,
0: So I have to say I'm pretty excited because I, I got the we cur- have some more of this the, the current out of it and I and I uh, was waiting for someone to say current and um that that's like some validation I, okay. I don't know Joe sure. sure. um, sure. and uh, so there's like
3: a, a bloody sanguine minerality iron iron ore uh, there's definitely some like umami did I do it wrong a little bit of soy you did it perfectly you did it great um,
4: I took a class once let's see
3: there's a lot of like baked earth clay doesn't work S- underbrush <coughs>
2: <laughs> that's fancy
4: that
1: I is love that. fancy i love that
2: um not quite sure what it means like underbrush of like a forest floor so It means place. underwood, under the underwood, trees. Does it, yeah. yeah,
1: under the trees. Uh, so how, it's it's kind of a glamorous word for a really kind of shitty shit. experience. Like really shitty, kind of, dried yeah. out. Instead like of, mulch. of being like like this, shitty mulch. It smells like is shit. This <laughs> squirrels squir- 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 here. <laughs> Don't worry about them.
3: Are you are you gonna initial conclusion?
1: Sure, initial conclusion. I'm going to say that this wine is from a moderate climate. Um, I would say that there's bottle age on here. I'm going to put this in a seven to 10-year range. For me, with the alcohol, I'm leaning towards New World on it. Um, But, you know, it could very well be Older World, Long, or um, Warmer Vintage. Um, I would say countries of origin, either California or France, grape variety, Pinot Noir. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I'm leaning towards California on this.
3: Hmm. I definitely think it's Pinot. Um.
0: I, I thought it was French. That's the first thing I thought when I tasted it. It was French, some type of French <laughs> well, wine. Oh, you didn't know what this was either? No, I don't know. I have no idea what it is. We're going to tear it open. That's cool. the – yeah. Cool. yeah. Where would you get it from? Uh, that, we'll fa- t- I'll tell you that after, because okay. they told me not to say that before I. Uh, okay. Well, before <laughs> before we do, you know wanna, it
1: let's both do it. What yeah. do you want to
0: say?
3: Um, my initial conclusion is that this wine is old world. It's from France. Uh, possible grape varieties include Burgundy and Pinot Noir. Possible age range: seven to ten years. Final conclusion: uh, the wine is old world from France, Burgundy. Uh, I think it's just kind of village level, moderate quality producer, probably 2010.
1: I don't think it's a bad idea. Like I said, the the way the alcohol and oak was spiking on this, yeah. I'm I'm gonna stay New World, even if it's not the sexy choice. I'm gonna say um, California, Central Coast, Santa Barbara, Santa Rita Hills, Vintage 2000.
3: Santa Rita Hills. Why not? Okay. Sick. Pretty specific. You guys are
4: opposite the of the world. You're France. You're, you're California. Yeah. I'm going to
1: say 2006.
3: Well, and it has everything to do with what we're perceiving as far as like alcohol and uh, and and oak, really.
4: Wow. We have a 2011 Ludwig Pinot Negro it's
2: Italian. Italian. Oh, yeah! Oh wow, that's cool.
3: Well, we got the grape.
4: Got the
2: grape, and
1: this is well. Now you have an idea of, of difficulty. You take a atypical growing climate. Yeah. For this grape variety, and you know, you. It's Elena Valk? Uh yeah. Yes. So, I mean, she's great. Um, she's a master, but she's more white wine driven. Even though I've never had this wine, I would say it it comes off more Venice yeah. than this. It came we'll comes off nice. older. Um, Than I would have guessed, but no matter what, there this is delicious.
0: Um,
1: Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, no doubt. Thank you. You
3: don't yeah, always it's, get it's to drink old delicious. Italian Pinot. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, this is so. This is from Cloverleaf um, mm. up on Main Street, sure. uh, and um, the gentleman said that uh, he knew knows you, Mick mm-hmm. personally. <laughs> yeah, Tom. Yeah, and um, yeah. he said if uh, he was just trying to stump him,
1: <laughs> totally <laughs> like, yeah, super this is weirdo of, wine. Yeah, you this know is what? A, though, yeah. and this is one of those things that we get. I don't know about you, but Gotten, I think I've gotten – I think you've probably gotten it too. Like, oh, yeah, here's this. And then all of a sudden someone's like, you know, somebody brown bags Xenomavro from Greece. And they're like, oh, I, somebody says it would be cool if I gave it to you. I'm like, man, like, hear I am. That's not like, cool. That's not nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like <laughs> this tastes totally Italian. And I'm thinking to right. myself like, all right, this is – this is – um Nebbiolo from Piedmont and yet, you know, someone's just trying to play games. Yeah. So
3: well and and the other thing is is we're not we're not trying to be superheroes, we're not trying to show off. Like we do this and we have a very specific way of doing it because it is fundamentally the way we have to do it and, and what supplements our education and what helps us overall help the guest. It's not about like, let's give you the weirdest thing and see if you can nail what it is. It's very calculated. I mean, we both got to Pinot. I don't think either of us would have ever even thrown Italy in the ring, and it's mostly because we're not trained to do so.
0: Yeah. So, what what is that? What point is that making then? So there is there are all, all of these really esoteric wines out there that mm-hmm. that um, you know uh, these producers are making the and I don't I, I don't even know exactly what they are. You know, I don't, I don't think I drink enough wine, but there are portfolios like, you know, I'm familiar with the Louis Dresner portfolio. That's so fun. And it's, it's <laughs> but but the vast majority of people, um, I don't think you can sell a Louis Dresner wine to someone walking down the street. Right. Or, or c- mm. can you? you yes, can. you can. It's just tr-
1: truthfully, like I guess I don't I, I like to avoid generalizations and I think it's a safe way to do it. I think Louis Dresner has a lot of great wines. I think there are some wines that are in the fringe of being hyper natural. We're just going to use that instead of supernatural. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hyper natural, where they are so. And natural is a a very dissolute, broad spectrum, non poorly defined term that in you know that is more or less saying hands off winemaking under. What nature would intend, kind of. You know, I'm, I'm sure someone's going to take issue with what I said, but at the end of the day, that's kind of it. You know, and I'm going to
3: keep my mouth shut about it.
1: Well, <laughs> I can tell you is this: there are plenty of really good examples totally. that are not volatile and consistent, and there are plenty of very, um, very odd examples that are incredibly fa- flawed or faulty that aren't delicious and truly aren't consumer friendly. But to that end. You know there are some great Muscadet and great Chenin Blanc in the Dresner portfolio that people who don't even know those grapes could like, totally without having to be venophiles or natural wine groupies. You know.
0: So what, what is what is natural wine? Let's can, can we discuss this, or is it, is there? I don't is know. That something that you don't want to is that path no, you don't want to go it's, down. It's a big con-
1: it's a big conversation. Like it I said, is. in
0: in a natural wine is as much adherence
1: to. It's almost I'm not going to say almost like a cult but it's 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 a doctrine where <coughs> well, like and it I said it has a following it has, it has, a, has following. a very specific
3: following.
2: Well let me ask you this has the Demeter am I saying it right uh-huh. designation uh, changed what people consider natural? Wine no. 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 And, it's still is muddied as It's muddy as because before.
1: of biodynamism which is sort of certif- Demeter certification. Yeah. Um Ecocert another You know, these things exist separately from natural wine, Mm. which is confusing. You know, so somebody can be biodynamic, which is treating the principle of a vineyard like a farm unit, which is great. It's a smart idea because, I mean, as much as you could argue whether or not it's helpful, I think everyone can understand the idea of biodiversity as a farm unit and how beneficial that is. So if disease comes in and you only have one kind of plant – could potentially have 100% loss. If you have biodiversity and have multiple things growing there, flora and fauna and otherwise, you probably have a lot more of sustainable opportunity. And so that's biodynamism bi- distilled. And so, again, a lot of people are, you know, there's a big trend in France um, and, and other countries in terms of the embracing of that. And I'm much more, I, don't, I, I thought it was going to be kind of fad-like, like natural wine, but truthfully, it's it's on the upswing right now in terms of the amount of producers doing it
3: well and i mean most of the willamette valley in oregon is either certified organic or biodynamic but they don't they don't advertise it because they don't have to they're just caring for the land that that they have because it's important to them Um, but natural wine is a is a different animal altogether it's more about no intervention and and it's more about winemaking as opposed to farming. I mean, it is a lot about farming. They're not going to spray their crop with a bunch of chemicals and and things of that nature. But it has a lot to do with what they're doing to actually make the wine, which oftentimes is nothing. And, you know, uh, a colleague and friend of ours has a kind of funny story about a very famous German winemaker that came into his restaurant and, uh, you know, a guest or a friend came in and brought this, like, natural Riesling. And and a can. And wa- in a huh. can and wanted him to try it and and this very famous German winemaker took a sip and said, ugh, why no sulfur and then dumped it out and poured his own wine into the can mm-hmm. and drank it. Like, Fair. you know what I mean? It's just one of those things where you're either into that funkiness and you accept it for how rustic it is or you're not. Right. It's oh, not for everyone. Right.
1: Like I said though, in, in, that's part of it but there are some great producers. Um, Rowanje, in Piedmont makes Ocopinti in Sicily. Stuff, yeah. I think, um, you know, some of the um, uh, Domaine de la Coupe and Muscadet, um Grand Mouton and Muscadet, some killer Chenin Blanc producers in the Loire. I mean, you have opportunities. Chenin has the
3: acid to, to handle it,
1: though. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying there exists right. opportunity for finding tremendous natural wine, yet bottle variation not necessarily consumer-friendly across the board. So you really have to be pr- predisposed to funk, predisposed to variation, predisposed to fruit being secondary or tertiary, so not prominent in a yeah. line where it's earth and other first, which is fine, but it's just these things make it tricky. And so I think Kat and I both look at this, trying to look at this through the lens of a consumer yeah, um, as much as possible because truthfully – that's who we answered to, as much as we're answering to bosses and P&L. It's just you want to make sure that you're not selling wine
2: to people who are going to say, "Well, what the heck did you just give me?" I mean, the first time I had Talquel, mm-hmm. I was like, "What the? F-? Like, this is this is rotten. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like, this tastes like shit." <laughs> I mean, Suboi. <laughs> yeah,
3: <laughs> cool, cool.
2: but I mean, I, I was like, "This is there's something wrong with this bottle." You know.
3: Well, and I, and I and have Putnam
2: is the... like, "No, no, bro, trust me."
3: Well, I have that uh, Coast Cerro di Vittoria. I have Pithos uh, Rosso yeah. on the list. But the thing is, is like, I'm not going to lie. I've had a shitload of Pithos <clears throat> Rosso sent back because people yeah. don't understand why it's cloudy or, or yeah. what's wrong with it. And that's OK.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and you know what that tells me? Don't put that on the list next time. Like, just don't yeah. do it. It's I mean,
2: fine. At the same time, there's a there's a level of not to go too far into this, but there's a level of like. You know, we as a uh, as a restaurant group are trying to push the borders a little bit, push the envelope and educate consumers. are totally. Like we're not just doing like here are your California Cabernets and, and uh, Chardonnay's. Right? But we're and not
3: weird we're, to be weird either.
2: I agree. Right. We're not weird to be weird. We're trying to expose people to new, cooler stuff. Totally. And I think that, you know, you got to walk the line, right? Mm-hmm. You've got you've to sort of have that balance of accessible yet interesting.
3: We walk the line and then when the line is crossed, you just pull it back <clears> and right. say, listen, this doesn't work and that's OK. Right.
1: I think. One of the things, and I'm I'm just going to take a sidebar off of this because I think what, what Wright & Company does, not to plug you guys
4: too much, but I will. Wright <laughs> <laughs> & Company, a fountain in Detroit. <laughs> right. I, I think in
1: general, I I love the fact that the beverage program takes risks more, cocktail, beer, and wine, whereas the food is more safe. I think there's a great balance in that. And there's no no offense to to you know Mark, uh, Josela's food because I think it's excellent. But sure. I think in general it's comfort food, well done. Yeah. And I'm not pigeonholing it, but I'm saying if you have a foothold there, listen. If you have everything experimental and everything off of in a dare country um, where people are taking risks, then you 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 put yourself up for the opportunity for a big fail or yeah. a big fall. And in this case, I think there's always that comfortable foothold, and people can. You know, hey, I'm going to try this really cool beer that I've never had before. I'm going to try this awesome cocktail that the server recommended, or I'm going to take that wine from you know this 22 year old um, Rioja Reserva that cat recommended that I never would have tried before because I only drank Napa Cab. Right. You know, and I think that is a, you know that is enabled because of the concept that you guys have come up with, which is is very use, you know useful because you are thinking of guests, right, not just yourselves.
0: An education. So so with with summer uh I mean it's eighty eighty five degrees summers here. Yeah. Um what, what's your thoughts on uh I know rosé is really hot right now. What rose about all what, day. so <laughs> hot right well, now? What, what what about what rose. about rose slushes? Is, is that Ooh. anathema? Is that bad? Wow. Is that is it is it's not a bad?
3: writing company. I mean well, no, no. I'm not against Fuck them. Let's I'll let's drink buy them a myself. Machine. Are you going to get me
2: one? Uh, tomorrow.
1: <laughs> is this real? Like a Rosé Slushes, are you talking about like making it? They have Midmotor wine, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. rose, rose, yeah.
0: So, so does, that, does that like step on the sommelier sensibilities? Or no. is it is something you can? No. You can...
1: Rosé, listen, Rosé might be new and hot now, but Rosé predated most regions' white wine culture. You know, again, white wine culture. Champagne especially. Champagne especially. So I'm saying there's nothing fancy about Rosé as much as – you know there are great examples of it. It's supposed to be accessible red wine made like a white wine <laughs> to be drunk when it's hot right that's what this is That's mm. all it is
3: well and and Rose is one of those things that is new and hot right now, but for people who who know it was there before, and it's going to be there long after it is no longer quote unquote hyper cool and mm-hmm. I hope that through this whole push that Everyone understands that, like, there is a time and a place and, and it is valuable in a lot of ways besides being a patio pounder. You know, like, there's a lot of things you can do with different styles of rosé.
1: We're drinking this rosé right now. Yeah, which,
3: that's really badass, by the way. No,
1: I'm saying this can age like a champ. Totally. Yeah. Um, hmm. Well,
3: Tempier is a— What is it?
1: It's 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 a Morvedra-based rosé from Bondol, from killer producer, Domaine Tempier, to 15— I have a little vertical of this going back to thirteen. Nice. Um, the point is, is that the thirteens are still drinking great right now. I just have one left, and I'm, it's mine. So yeah.
3: I'm not gonna share. <laughs> Got it. And it's so, coming out at Garden. Party. Right, there you go.
1: So to that end, like I said, this is this is one ex- expression of a rosé. There's plenty that are incredibly fruit driven and almost spritzy, and some are dark. This is actually pale colored, but it's rich despite being pale colored. It's as flexible. As any red or any white well done and not a gimmick, despite the fact that marketers are going to try to milk everything they can out of this and come up with every abomination. What is that? White girl rosé that, you know, basic, basic bitch rosé
2: or something. That's my favorite. (laughs) I know. I loved Yellowtail before.
1: But... Um, I was at Meyer the other day, and <laughs> oh. I saw this can of rosé, and it was so cute. <laughs> You're like, no. Uh, I did
0: <laughs> say that to you.
3: That's Earlier true. before we started right. recording. Uh,
0: so, uh, Mick, uh, w- where can people find you?
1: I am based in the Rochester location of Red Wagon on Auburn and Rochester Road, but I am
2: kind of everywhere, so... Have you got a social media handle
1: at Mixum on Instagram? I jumped off of Facebook, so that was healthy, healthy for me at Mixum Instagram.
0: Kat, what about you? Where can we find you?
3: Um, I'm hiding in my closet office at 1500 Woodward, second floor at Wright and Company most days. Um, and then my social media handle, I also hopped off of Facebook for the study train. Brava. My Instagram is at vino underscore cat, Mick, K-A-T.
0: Mick, Cat, thanks for being with us. Thanks for thanks having, for having us. us. Thanks, guys. Absolutely, yeah. Until next time, dine well, friend.